Blog Talk Radio. All right now. Yeah. Welcome to the movement, baby. We're going to change education. Check out shungleblade.com. I'll say it again, shungleblade.com. Teach and reading uniquely to reverse underperformance. True school is here. Now let's be clear. Our impact will be enormous to the people across this nation. Eagerly anticipating a sound from the streets that's so unique it'll transform education. This is school, the killing field, where they kill a lover learner and then not children for real. That's the deal. Now we gotta change things around, close gaps down. This a new sound, true school. This is this radio show, shovelbig.com, flow, in case you wait, no. And now we gonna change things. One school at a time, one rhyme at a time. Yeah, we gonna shine. Time to shine media, yes. Yeah, we've been blessed putting suckers to the test. So, teaching reading, so uniquely. That's right. Gotta make you think deeply. Uh, teaching reading uniquely to reverse underperformance. True school is here. Now let's be clear. Our impact will be enormous to the people across this nation. Welcome, welcome to another, yet another segment of True School, True School Show brought to you by the Keys 107 Network. This week we are going to be dealing with a part to a very important, important subject I titled called Black Teachers Crying in the Dark. This will be Black Teachers Crying in the Dark Part 2. Welcome, I'm your guest, Shungo Blake, also known as Mr. B, also known as the Hip Hop Principal. But for the purposes of this show, I like to be called Brother Shungo because that is a great title. It simply means the other part of yourself. Well, if you remember... Uh, for those of you who have been following us, and for those of you maybe just tuning in uh, for the first time, we did a very important show called Black Teachers Crying in the Dark, the subject of the struggle and the plight of black teachers, in my humble opinion, is not talked about enough, is not spoken in the public uh, enough, and is not analyzed enough. And we had a wonderful uh, person that came on, um, the last time that we dealt with this subject, her name is Miss Kiata Hendricks, uh, and I will give you some more information about her, and she will be our guest again uh, this week uh, on the True School Radio Show. But I want to kind of go back for a moment and read some of these quotes that I read the last time just to set the tone and lay a foundation about uh, some of the experiences that, 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 that many teachers are having but I want to focus on black teachers in particular. And when I say black teachers, I don't want you guys to get scared and run away. Oh, my God, he used the word black. It's okay. It's Black History Month, right? It's okay to say black. Black teachers are what we're talking about. We cannot be afraid to address some of the issues and concerns that affect our community and say it boldly. We have to stop being concerned about how others view us and be more concerned about how we view ourselves. One of the principles of Kwanzaa is self-determination. So don't be afraid to define yourself, to speak for yourself, to address the issues within your community because every other community is doing it. Every other community is talking about the things that affect them. So if we say black, 
don't get scared. That's just for, that was just a public service announcement for some of my Negro friends out there, okay? Now, let's think about this. Let's look at this, this issue of black teachers crying in the dark. Here's a quote from some teachers that I spoke to when we did the last show, what they were saying and giving me feedback right before the show. One teacher said, I can't take the stress of teaching anymore. I feel like I'm failing the children who look like me, and I'm participating in a system that is destroying our future, and I don't know what to do. That is deep. And this was from a first-year teacher who was already burned out from working in the school system, feeling like she was not making the proper kind of impact that she needed to make to help our children, and it was stressing out to the degree that she was ready to leave the school system. These are just some of the feelings and attitudes that some black teachers have concerning the current state of black, uh, the current state of public education. So, like I said earlier, this week we will be interviewing Ms. Kiata Hendricks, a progressive black teacher who is a 16-year special education vet and a local chapter chair teacher union leader. And she will provide us with insight about properly educating urban school children and supporting new teachers around good, sound, instructional practices. Kiata will also address many educational issues that are leading to lower uh, teacher morale and burnout. So she will be providing a voice to the voiceless. So if you hear something in the show today and it strikes a chord with you, if you are, have a question or you want support and you're a teacher out there and you're like, I don't know what, I, what to do with my class and I'm not feeling like I'm getting support from the administration, I got pressure coming from the parents, I got standards coming down the pipe, I've got a scripted curriculum I have to follow, and I just don't know where to turn. Call us, 213-943-3618. Press number one on your keypad if you have a question or comment. I want to remind our audience that the purpose of uh, this show is to start a conversation around solving educational issues. We don't want to just analyze the issue without coming up with some solutions or at least some models of success, success, excuse me, or models or role models from people who are doing innovative and creative things around addressing important critical issues in urban education. If you'd like to find out about the kind of work that I do as a consultant, you would like to find about my uh, company, True SK, which stands for School Consultants, you can go to www.shungleblake.com or you can like us on Facebook, slash shungleblake.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at shungleblake. I'm interested in hearing from you. I'm interested in getting feedback from you. We want to make this show a show that... It goes all around the country and outside of the country. We want to be at the vanguard position in terms of addressing issues within public education. But we cannot do that without your feedback, without your support, and without your encouragement. So don't just listen for yourself. Tell a friend to tell a friend. 
because these are issues that are happening in our community that we must tackle. Now, black teachers crying in the dark, the plight of the black educator. There is a growing dissatisfaction amongst black educators, and I have spoken to many African-American educators and Latino educators and urban school teachers who have said the following. These are their words. I have worked only for a year and I'm ready to quit. I am suffering from anxiety. I have chest pains and migraine headaches as a result of teaching in public school system. And this is not just in New York, brothers and sisters. This is throughout the country. One says, I have all these mandates from administrators and no support. That's a very critical one. I have all these mandates from administration and no support. Parents don't respond to my attempts to communicate with them, or parents come to my class and they curse me out and they make threats. These are some of the issues that are plaguing our public school system. You know, I don't want to be one of those people who demonize uh, teachers and say the teachers are the reason why things are happening and the teachers is all the teachers for that's not what this is about. But what we want to do is we want to explain to the teachers what their role is in a greater context of serving our community and how should they posture themselves, how should they position themselves when dealing with our children. And we do want to point out those teachers who are not teaching because they need to be exposed and they need to be removed. But we want to support those teachers and we want to define what support means, real support, for those teachers who are going at extra mile to try to service our children in the way of knowledge. These are the type of issues that we will be addressing when we come back from this commercial break. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if uh, my engineer is there or if he's uh, taking a break himself. But we're going to continue on and take that commercial break in just a couple of minutes. Um, And we'll start off with uh, introducing our guest. Our guest today is Ms. Kiata Hendricks. And Ms. Kiata Hendricks has had a great deal of success in her work with children. She's on with the most recent educational methodologies and techniques and is always willing to share that knowledge and understanding with fellow teachers and school personnel. She works hard to bring the curriculum to life in her daily teaching. Most of the students entrusted to her care have shown significant academic progress in their practice. Seek her out to discuss student progress with her almost on a weekly basis. Hello? Hello? Am I on? 
introduce Ms. Kiata Hendricks. Ms. Hendricks, are you there? I'm here. How are you? I am great. I'm great. It's great to uh, have you again. I mean, the last time you were here, the feedback that I got was through the roof. I mean, I had several teachers calling in. They wanted to know more about you. They wanted to know how they could reach you and how they could uh, tap into some of the vast knowledge that your 16 years of experience brings to the table. So I thank you for yet again agreeing to come on True School and uh, help us with this very important conversation. Anytime, anytime. Great, great. So uh, I'm going to jump right into it, um, and uh, let's get on with this interview. I'm going to start with this first question. There's a trend happening. Many black educators are leaving the profession, and either leaving on their own or they're, or they're being forced out. Um, but there is an exodus happening. Why do you think this is occurring? Well, I think at this point in time, most black educators are probably not trying to leave. They're trying to hold on to what they can because they know that there are no jobs out there. And what that's created is kind of, uh, it's hard to explain, it's kind of created this problem within schools where there are teachers who chose this profession and want to be there and love kids and are trying to figure things out for their students the best way they can Mm -hmm. with the new Common Core curriculum, with all the new demands placed on them, and they're tired and they're stressed, but they're there because, you know, they they love what they do. And then there are teachers who became teachers because maybe they liked the schedule and maybe they didn't think they'd be good at anything else and, and thought that this would be an easy career to go into. And now that everything's changing and we're all kind of under the gun in education, those people who signed on to be educators because of the schedule and because they thought it would be easy are now making it hard for the teachers who are trying to hold on to what's left of what the profession is supposed to be. And the demands are so challenging that, like, you have to really be almost a super teacher. You have to know more than you needed to know a long time ago. Like, a long time ago, you could have kind of understood the content you were teaching to kids and Teach it the best way you knew how, and the kids might get it. That's not acceptable anymore. Kids have changed. Children's minds have evolved. The curriculum has evolved. And everything is now high-stakes testing, um, higher standards, yet children in similar, if not worse, situations than before. Mm. So given all these factors, teaching right now is not for the weak of heart, It's not for the weak of mind. It's not for someone who doesn't have some type of spiritual base in order to keep them grounded. Mm. It's not for you. And if you are someone who has all these things in place and is fighting for their children, their students' lives right now so that they can survive all the changes happening in education and be successful, those people who are fighting are literally with all types of viruses, 
infections, but they keep coming to work every day and pushing the envelope and staying late and and working hard for the kids, even given the circumstances. Too many kids in the class, not enough resources, not enough staff to keep everything under control, no real... Um, no real leeway for the schools to be able to monitor the behaviors the way they'd like to. No consequences for students. And and yet they still, they stay. Cussed out by parents, they stay and they work with them. But then there are the teachers who are falling apart under all this pressure because it's not really in them. The love isn't in them. So we're in a time of truth now where if you're on the side of truth and you're on the side of doing right by students, by children, by the profession, because this is what you've been called to do, then there's a separation happening in schools now between those people who are on that side and those people who really just took the job because they needed a job. And it's starting to cause dissension within schools. Now, is this happening within within the teaching ranks, like People are decide of making decisions within that that rank. Is it happening between the teachers and the administrators? When you say that we're in the moment of truth and people are making that decisions, how is this playing out? What does it look like? What it looks like is there are a couple of key people on the staff or a couple of key teachers on the staff who are going above and beyond, and then there are other teachers on the staff who. You know, if they just did their job and live within the truth of just doing their job, they're an asset to the building. And then there are teachers who, no matter how much help you give them, no matter how much you try to, you know, get them to improve on their practice, it's very difficult to give somebody uh, an overall feeling and sense of love and devotion to the children if it's not there. Because there are still teachers out there who come in to do a job and then just want to go home. Teaching is not that field anymore. It might have been at one time. It's not that field anymore, especially not if you work in an urban area where, you know, the cars are stacked against them based on either poverty, environmental issues, food deserts being in their area. You know, you can't just come into an area where there's, struggle and strife and think you're going to come in and teach the same lesson to all the kids and go home and not worry about anything because that's not the work that's ahead of us right now. So if you're somebody who's like, this is rough, this is tough, but I love these kids and I'm going to see it through, and then you have to work alongside somebody who's like, why do I have to do all this? You know, these kids are bad, you know. Their parents don't care. They don't care. And that's their attitude. That's where the separation comes into play, where you have the teachers who care looking at the teachers who now it's been revealed that they don't really care. And they're Mm -hmm. almost in the way. Because Mm -hmm. it's almost like, you know, they're the people who've chosen to play the violin on the Titanic while you're trying to help yourself and the rest of the kids to the life raft. So it's it's starting to become an issue. They should go down, and they're still playing the same old song, huh? Exactly. Not trying to change, not trying to grow, scapegoating children, you know, because of their own lack of ability to deal with 
all the changes and what goes on. Like when there are budget cuts, budget cuts mean you have to do more with less. It's like the standards have gone up, the budget's gone down. When the budgets go down, now the principals are in charge of the budgets. It makes it so that the principals can't hire who yes. they need to hire and have an adequate enough staff to get off the vision that they initially had for the school in the first place. So what that means is that if there are people on your staff that still believe in the vision, care about the kids, they're going to, you know, go above and beyond and give that 110, 120, or 200%, sometimes 300%, if you're doing the job of people who the principal should be allowed to hire but can't. Mm. But you look at the kids and go, I'll do it, because you don't want the kids to suffer. Then you're looking at other teachers who are just like, they look like they could care less about spending time with the kids. They look like they don't even care as much about the kids, talk bad about the kids in front of their face. And you're standing here looking at your colleagues like, oh, my goodness, like, why are you here if you don't care? Because this is the age of caring, of of truth, of responsibility, and you have to almost pick a side. You may be working alongside somebody who's not teaching because they're just not walking in the truth or in the knowledge of the times. They just don't get it. So if no. you're walking with that knowledge of what's going on in terms of the schools that we're all we could all be in jeopardy of the school being closed down, we could be in jeopardy of the school being turned into a charter school, the school being you know, co-located, having issues with just general paperwork because of glitches in the computer systems and stuff, like knowing that you have to face all this stuff. You can't have any weak links if you're to succeed as a school body and as yeah. a school community. You know, so what's want... happening? Go ahead, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I ask you, um, um... When it comes to, I mean, these issues, and and and, and you, you 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 laid a lot out there. I mean, one of the things that is very clear to me is that that when you look at the teaching staff, I like how you broke it down into different categories. You know, you have those who go above and beyond and who are willing to to do what needs. You know, they have the love of our children in their heart and they're self motivated. Then you have the teachers who, if like you said, they just do their job and do what they're supposed to do. That in itself is an asset when you marry it with those who are highly motivated and who are involved. And then you have those that no matter what you do, then they're not going to change. And, and I've come up against that and have experienced that as well. I want to talk specifically about the black educator um, okay. because I, I, I really feel that um, there's a problem when you, you know, we, we hear these stories in the news about the condition of schools and they talk about the, 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 the racial gap in terms of achievement and they talk about how black boys are going into jail and not graduating from high school and they talk about all these things. And then we don't hear anything coming from a collective group of black educators that could, you know, and I know that there are black teachers in the trenches every day fighting on behalf of our children um, and but that that side of the story is very rarely seen, uh, you know, from a public perspective. So what I like to know from you are, what are the issues that face 
these young black edu- educators who graduate from school, they want they come into the teaching profession, they have the love of the children and they want to teach in their heart and 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 they come up against all the things in the system that will turn them against the profession of teaching or make them feel dissatisfied. Does inst- institutional racism still exist? And if and if so, then what barriers um, do these teachers who come into the school system, I'm talking about the black educators in particular, what do they have to overcome? Well, it depends on where you where you choose to work. Like in New York City, if you are a black educator and you're looking for work, you can find it in Brooklyn, you can find it in the Bronx, you can find it in, like, South Jamaica, Queens, but you're not going to be in areas where there's not enough of us. Mm. You're just not going to get jobs there. And those are the environments that aren't as toxic as the ones where there are jobs available. But there, there are less and less jobs available on a regular basis with all the budget cuts. So if you're young and you're a black educator fresh out of school just starting out, um, as long as you're given support by elders and as long as you're there for the right reasons, you can kind of survive. But if you're... What are those re- what are those right reasons? How would you define right reasons? Right reasons would be you really, you, you know, you're interested in becoming a, a good teacher, of growing within your profession, of, you know, being open to learn different methods to approach educating children, you know, being open to admit that you don't know everything and and understand that teaching is going to be a learning process until you retire. Mm. And just being open to new ideas and new information at all times and and feedback, you know, and working as a part of a community and feeling as though you are a part of a community, you know, and and not not having the crabs in a barrel mentality if the staff is, you know, majority of color and just learning how to get along and not bring more negativity into a community that may already have enough, a lot of negativity. Mm-hmm. Now, but this is just for New York. I know that if you're of color and you try to get a job in areas that aren't urban cities in other states, you hit brick walls unless you have, you know, some kind of connections or, or someone who knows someone that can get you into the system and help you get your license straight. So, you know, the system is sort of tailored now that if we do want to go into education, the best places for us to be and to get hired would be in urban school districts. And and I don't see a problem with that because, well, I mean, when I was coming up, I wanted to teach in my community. So did I. I didn't want to teach in another person's community, and it was I didn't I didn't have anything against another community. It was just that I I I felt a sense of connection with the students from the community that I grew up. You know, shared background, a shared experience. When I saw those young eleven uh, year old, twelve year olds, or sixteen year olds, whatever they were, I saw myself, and I wanted to be able to offer something that would in a way of not just teaching but mentoring and modeling and, and showing them that I come from the same background experience that you come from and I'm doing it and you can do it too. And so that was something that 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 
you know, when you said when you said earlier some people went into the profession because they wanted to make a difference, I wanted to go back into my community and make a difference. And and it's interesting uh, because I've heard uh, teachers today, teachers of color, refer to our black students, our children, as animals. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, what, what happened? Where did the disconnect take place? How can you come into this profession and have this attitude towards children that look like you when many of you, when you were young, you were the same way? What's going on? Well, part of the reason why that's happening is because those are people who don't do any self-reflection. They don't look at the child as a whole person. They don't. They don't have a foundation in cognitive psychology, developmental psychology. Um, they don't know about, like, the various stages of mental and physical growth and maturity that take place in children. They don't understand trauma mm. and how trauma and either witnessing things that are crazy, being exposed to things, being you know, having children being exposed to things that are difficult, that they might bring that into the classroom. So there's a lack of empathy. There's a lack of understanding on, um, like, an educational psych, psycho, you know, an educational psychology kind of level. Like that's missing, and there's no understanding of how to manage those things when they come your way. You know, your first thing to do is to judge. Oh, this kid acts crazy. This kid's off the hook. This kid doesn't know how to act. This kid's always starting a problem. These children don't listen. They don't do what I tell them to do. They don't stop and think, how engaging was that lesson I just taught? Was it interesting to them? Maybe it wasn't interesting. Maybe I didn't give them enough to do to occupy them. Maybe I need to find another way to teach this so that it is interesting to them. Maybe I should sit down and take the time to find out what my students are interested in so I'll have a a platform for which to teach them everything that I need to teach them this year because they'll be able to make a connection to it. And these are the reflective things that teachers have to do these days in order to be effective because sometimes classroom management could just be my lesson was so engaging they didn't have time to talk or do anything bad. Exactly. Or, you know, maybe this kid, this I'm last thing, this kid who might be acting up or coming in and flipping out every day, something simple, he's hungry or she's hungry. There's 12, 13, 10, 6, 5 kids in the house. Not enough food to go around. Everybody ate whatever was available. And, you know, the little breakfast they had in the morning didn't cover for the lack of food the child had the night before. So now you have – I've seen kids cry. I've seen kids go off and act crazy and and not calm down. And then by the time you get them to calm down, you ask them what's wrong, simple two words, I'm hungry. Mm. And I've seen several children do that. So it just takes a minute. What's the answer for that child? Keep food in your classroom. Get a little extra breakfast and put it to the side for that child. Bring in a little box of cereal, something. Keep it because that child is going to stop acting up in your room. 
because you've now find, found a way to meet that child's needs so they can get back to the business of learning. And this you know, is what we as educators have to do. Let me stop you for one moment. Okay. That's very critical, and that is you connected classroom management to good, sound instruction and common sense. And um, when you do have a lesson that's engaging and you've done the necessary planning and you have the, you've, you've done what you have said, you're, you're reflecting about your practice. A reflective practitioner, when we do these things, it absolutely helps in terms of classroom management. Of course, we know you have to have structure. You have to have uh, good rituals and routines and things of that nature. However, built into that is engaging, innovative, creative ways in which to bring the lesson to the students that keep them engaged in the learning process. And, um, you know, like you said, if, if it, it you have to be able to identify what may be the thing that is causing a child to act out. And you eloquently laid out that case. And so I'm, 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 I wanted to stop you to reinforce that because for those teachers who are out there who are listening, this is uh, uh, what will help you be successful in your attempts to reach our young people. Now, I want to bring... The, the focus back to uh, black teachers again. I had said earlier that we, we constantly hear um, about an analysis about black students and their inability to perform, their inability to graduate, the, the learning gaps, and, and, and all these different things, and the movies come out you know, that, that talk about what's happening. And a lot of times these movies or documentaries that come out you see uh, a person who's not from our community, and they're supposed to be the expert on our children. And what I'm wondering is, where is the collective voice of black teachers or black educators around these issues? Do um, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think part of the reason why we don't have a voice is because we're not We've over the years learned a mentality of not working together. We don't we don't take the time to think, hey, what can we do to come together to make things better for us as a team? I mean, there are small little coalitions here and there within the UFT and you know, for the national the um Black Teachers Association, but you know, they don't come together surrounding issues that we specifically face. But at the same time, you know, we all just need to try to have, like, a safe space where we can discuss our main issues, what we need to do to grow individually so that we can grow together collectively. Because we have a lot of damage within ourselves that we have to fix. And, do you and think that's that we, where it starts. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that we bring that damage into the classroom? Of course we do. We don't mean to. Anybody who has damage inside of themselves is going to bring that damage into whatever classroom they walk into if they're not constantly working on it. Anybody, any color, any race, if you're damaged, 
you're going to bring that damage with you everywhere you go until you find some way to heal from the damage. And then on top of that, sometimes you might walk into a classroom, you might have a a group of students and, and some of the boys act up, some of the girls act up, you have issues with the kids having respect for you or speaking to you a certain kind of way. And, you know, sometimes I've told teachers, like, oh, what's wrong with this kid? This kid is disrespectful, says whatever. And I'm, I said, you know, I'll tell them that, that child's sick of talking to women all the time. There's nothing but women around. Mm. Women at home, women here, and he's probably tired of hearing all of us cackle. It all sounds the same. I said, you know, a man's voice is needed, and we don't have enough black male teachers. And let's face it, why do we need more black male teachers? Because a family isn't just a woman. Yes, there are plenty of single mothers. I'm a single mother, and we're doing whatever we can, and we're the best parents we can be, wearing both sets of shoes and trying to hold everything down. Absolutely. Not not knocking that. But how do we find a way to, to make sure that our child, whether male or female, learns how to have a positive relationship with a male figure who's positive, who can teach them about building those types of relationships because all of that plays into the self-esteem and the social and emotional growth of children. So when there aren't men around, which at many schools there aren't, there might be one or two, and they may not be classroom teachers. You know, maybe they provide other services in the building, you know, who knows. But if there's not that regular male presence, it's it's like a difference. Like I had a group of boys one year, and the very next year they had a male teacher. He was only there for one year, but it made a difference that there was a man that mm. they came in and took instruction from on a daily basis. Now, there were one or two children there that had some damaging relationships with, you know, their father or the men in their life. So those things played out as well because they weren't used to having a man being in an authority position, you know, within their life. So, I mean, these are all psychological things that a teacher now has to tap into. You just have to. It's it's an unfortunate reality that, like, you can't just wear the teacher hat. You have to wear the counselor hat, the mom hat, the psychology hat. You have to have an understanding, and you have to take that minute and ask that child why they're angry. Ask that child how they're feeling. Even if, Especially the kids who are so-called the ones who are in trouble all the time, the kids that people always say, like, kids, a bad kid, kid acts like an animal. I don't believe there are any bad kids. At all. There are children who get raised and put in bad situations that they had no control of. And when they get placed in these bad situations by whoever their caretakers are or if they get taken away from their caretaker for whatever reason, whether it's because the state just decided to do it and it was false or whether it was founded, either way, a lot of these children have suffered. And when they walk into school with all this baggage and hurt, and suffering, they just want to have an adult around who they can trust, someone they can talk to, and then once they get through some of those issues, then they might just be able to sit down and learn something so they can pass. 
with no, these I'm, problems. Go ahead. I'm, sitting, Sorry. I'm listening to you, and I'm saying to myself, this is what I mean when I say the collective voice concerning issues that face our children. Um, because this is not, what you're saying right now is not said enough in the public domain. And and this and, and this is what I mean, that there are, 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 are several teachers out there like you who have a perspective, who, have, who come from the communities that these children come from and are now teaching the same children um, and who have had shared experiences that these children are having when they were children. And I just believe that that if if it was if if if, if NAPSI or the, the black contingent that's in the UFT came up with a ten point program, come up with a a, a collective uh, statement about the, the the achievement gap and how that achievement gap can be addressed. The problem that I see is that we are constantly having policy rammed down our throat, and I believe the reason why we're having that happen is because there's not an under uh, no, there's not a grassroots swelling of of um, pushback in terms of saying, no, this is what our children need. And um, I think part of the reason that exists, and I'm going to ask you to address this right before we go to a commercial break, is that a lot of black educators that are coming into the ranks today lack an understanding of their own history and struggle, period, meaning the black struggle, period, and then more specifically lack the 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 history knowledge of what has been done in the way of sacrifice so that they can walk into that school and have a job. They don't even know what's happened within the last 30 years in terms of the fight for the curriculum of inclusion, Ocean Hill, uh, Brownsville, um, the fight for community control, the fight to say we want more black teachers in our schools because it was a time in New York City in particular, and it still is kind of like that and going back to that quickly, where in most of our schools, the teachers were white. Right. And you can't find that dynamic anywhere else. You can't go to a school out in Scarsdale and find predominantly black staff and predominantly white students. But if we bring that up, that's considered racism. But no one's talking about that perspective. So, you know, what do you think about black history and that and the need to, for our teachers coming into the profession to understand their own history? I'm talking specifically about black teachers now. Well, that's the problem. If they didn't, I mean, it's no requirement that you have to know your own history when you go to college and get your teaching degree. Uh-huh. There's no, especially not if you want to teach kindergarten or elementary school, there's no requirement. So, most of the time, if you're interested in knowing who you are and where you came from and what your history is, your real history, that has to be something you want to do on your own. Mm-hmm. And if a lot of people are so confused about what's real and what's an illusion based on what's been presented to us over the years in different forms of mm-hmm. media, print, TV, that's supposed to represent our history. And it's caused so much confusion. You have all these different realms of thought about what our history was really like and in this country and 
who certain leaders are within our community that tried to make things better over the years. Like some of their names aren't even known. Yeah. And it's just it just causes a lot of confusion. Sometimes when you speak to people about stuff and you bring them truth about our history and about our struggle, they almost would rather turn a blind eye to it than face it because it's almost too difficult for them to break out of the illusion they've been functioning under for years because that illusion makes them feel safe. It makes them feel, you know, some semblance of connection to their oppressor in a sense. It, it, it it, It helps them feel like I'm still accepted, I'm still okay to not discuss the truth, to not bring the truth out about their history, or to to not gain any knowledge or have a different perspective about people. Like, Absolutely. this is sort of a far-fetched example, but, like, I remember well, a teacher. Go ahead. You got to take a break. We'll take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I want you to finish that thought because we're going to get deeper into the conversation because you're hitting on some very powerful, important points, and I want to take time and really go through it. So we'll be right back after this commercial break. Okay. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French colored shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, one on the keypad if you have a question 
or a comment. Now, um, I want to say this real quick. I'm going to just a little uh, affirmation that I like to do. I like to say this uh, at least four times. Black, 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 black. Don't be afraid to say it, brothers and sisters. The problem is that we have been conditioned to be afraid to talk about issues that affect the black community for fear of offending people who have been uh, oppressing us ever since we've come to this country. And it's it's like a weird psychology that's going on. And um, it's interesting because today young people walk down the street freely using the N-word, N-word all throughout hip-hop songs, all throughout the movies, and no one has a problem with it. But let a black man get up and talk about black issues or a black woman get up and talk about black issues that affect the community, and the first thing people want to say is, why are you always talking about that black stuff? So since this is Black History Month, we're going to continue our discussion about what's happening with our black teachers who are uh, who are crying in the dark. And the reason I said crying in the dark is that they know that there's an injustice taking place, but fear cripples them, many of them, from speaking out. And I just want to thank you, um, uh, Sister Kiata, for, 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 for being a bold black woman who's not afraid to address the issues that affect our community. That is something that is to be commended. Now, before we went to uh, commercial break, we were talking about um, black history and teachers not coming in uh, with that kind of understanding and what impact that that has on um, on their on their the way they approach teaching. And I, and I just want to give an example. And that, you, you hear with me? You hear with me, Miss Kiata? I'm here. I'm here. Yeah. I want to give you this example. Black is black just just to show you how a black movement can inspire and then influence. Now, in 1995, I went to the Million Man March, and when we was at the Million Man March, Minister Falcon said to the men who attended that march, he said, "When you leave here, go back to your community and you get involved." And, you know, make your community a better place. And so I, along with others, came back and we formed uh, an organization called the Million Man March, Coordinated Council of Queens, and then they had the Millions Women's March, and we changed our name to the Million Man Slash Women March, Coordinated Council of Queens. And we put on all kinds of programs, youth day programs, college tours. We put together things that engage young people in a very proactive, positive way, and you saw the effects of that on the community. Now, I'm doing this before entering into the teaching profession, but when I became a teacher, I brought that experience and that love of my own community with me into the profession. And so when I approached dealing with children, I approached it from that that, that base, that, that, that lens, that perspective, and that informed my practice as I move through the ranks of education. And and what I'm saying today is that too many of us are coming into the profession not rooted in the, the love of their people and the history of their people, and it's having a negative impact in terms of how they even view our children. Here's a question I have for you. Don't you think teachers, regardless of their race, black, white, blue, polka dot, I don't care, if you're in a teaching um, tra- a teaching program, 
that program should mandate that teachers in that program, if they're going to be teaching in an urban setting, if that's the direction that they're going, that it should be a requirement that they know black and Latino history and something about the community that they're going to be servicing. I agree. I agree. And there are some really good programs out there in colleges that do actually prepare you and make you read literature that has to do with the community you're going to be teaching in or, you know, gives you some basis for understanding. Because I can I can honestly say from my experience, I took classes at different colleges down in Maryland when I was there. I mean, I got my um, bachelor's from University of Maryland at College Park in English, but when I taught in PG County, they made us take classes at different colleges to fulfill the, requir- the education requirements that we didn't have back in the 90s. One of the best universities, I think, to come up as a teacher, if you want to be prepared to teach in an urban environment, is Bowie State University. Okay. And I say this as I get a chill because the two best classes that I ever took in my entire life I took at Bowie State. One was called Educational Psychology. The other one was called Classroom Management. And in the Classroom Management class, the instructor used the same book that they use in every other university where they teach classroom management and different strategies. But the professor had us sitting in the class, had us sitting in the classroom for a little while, and he, um, we were like, where's the professor at? He walked in the room kicking chairs, throwing stuff, cussing at us, and we were like, what's wrong with him? He went up to the front of the room and he said, now what the F are you going to do when they come in your room like that? Mm. And he took us through all types of behaviors that children bring into the classroom and gave us the why. That child might be hungry. That child might not have slept the night before. You don't know what's going on in that child's home life. You have to stop and find out what's happening. Sometimes kids come in, they've checked out, they're not interested in school anymore, bring in a box of donuts and some hot chocolate, and not just to give them food, but just to let them know, I care about you. Because sometimes food is good, especially to keep around if a child is hungry, but just a small gesture to show the kids that you value them and you find them important no matter what's going on. And then also being able to let go and forgive. I've told kids who have said all kind of crazy stuff or done horrible stuff surrounding me or tried to say something horrible to me, once I get to talk to them about it, I'll tell them at the end of whatever I've had to say to them, I still love you. Mm. Tomorrow I'm going to forget about this because I don't hold grudges. Tomorrow is a new day, new you, new me. We starting over. I don't hold nothing against you that happened today. And it's important to tell a child that, especially if if it's a child who's struggling and having a hard time outside of the school environment and bringing that strife with them into the building. Mm -hmm. These are all important things that I learned in class at Bowie State. We even had to do studies on, like, putting a curriculum together to address issues in the community, and one of the projects that my group did for the education, the other class I took was educational psychology, and in that class we wrote a curriculum um, addressing drug abuse in our community, 
and I had the privilege of working under um, a wonderful woman named um, Caroline Caldwell Mallet, and um, she was a director at New Directions Behavioral Health Center in Newark. Long time ago. Today's her birthday, but um, she taught me something really important that I've taken with me about people who abuse drugs. And she said, when you do intakes, find out why they started using drugs. And I was like, why? What does she mean, why? After I did the intake, I found out by doing their history that every single person, didn't matter who it was, how old they were, how long they were doing drugs, every single person I did an intake on, at the onset of their drug use was a trauma that took place in their life that sent them down their path, and they didn't even notice it. For example, I had somebody tell me that, um, you know, they just started using drugs because they're peer pressure, hanging with the wrong crowd. But then as we started talking about their family, come to find out they watched their little brother get shot and killed in the street, and that was the same year they started using drugs. And the story was very similar for every person that had a drug problem. So what that helped me do was to stop looking at people who had drug and alcohol problems as, like, banes of society. They were people in pain that never had a chance to get that pain out, talk about it, heal from it, have a safe space to heal from it, and then try to figure out a way to pick up the pieces of their life and get reconnected with, you know, the God inside of them and their past and what they're supposed to be doing. And it's it's very difficult to get back to you and to be still within you if you have so much hatred and disdain for yourself. And that's where everything starts. Because of what's been done to us historically, because we didn't put the drugs in our community. We didn't put ourselves into slavery. You know, maybe a couple of us did, but we didn't, we didn't do all this stuff to us. It kind of happened. And because of the situation that we've been in, our families being torn apart, poverty, lack of jobs, lack of education, all this compounds into a huge miscommunication and misunderstanding amongst our community. Because those people who have made it into the middle class and a nice little house and a nice car feel like it's okay to look down on people who maybe haven't had the same opportunities, maybe haven't had the easiest life because they were born into whatever situation they were born into. So they look down. And since we're all black, there's no way, regardless of how comfortable I might be today, that I can actually stay comfortable because I have to watch my people struggling, being cold, not having what they need, watching kids suffer. So it doesn't matter what I may be able to bring into my life and into my world because my people are still suffering. And if they're suffering, I'm suffering. So that's another mentality that has to be broken amongst people in our community. People become bougie and they think, oh, I've I've made it. I don't know what's wrong with them. There's plenty wrong. And it's not just that they're lazy or it's what it. This is society has been has been formed to be this way, and it's yeah. very difficult for some people to overcome. And, and, it, and you know what? It reminds me what you're saying is a one. A, 
I brought Adelaide Sanford uh, uh, to my school, um, and she did a professional development for the staff when we did a retreat. And um, I gave her a, a topic that I wanted her to cover. I said, I want you to talk about the importance of understanding one's culture when you are educating them, you know, to have a healthy understanding Love and respect for that culture. And, and, and the point I was making, I wanted her to make the connection for those teachers who maybe who didn't come from the, the same background that the majority of students come from. That they need to dig, dig a little deeper in terms of understand, you know, developing that kind of understanding. And she said something that was very profound in, in the actual professional development. She said it is important to understand one's culture. She said, but you have. To you cannot understand that culture in absence of history. Right. And she said, which was, was so important, she said that we have to understand the history that helped to develop the culture in the first place. And, 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 and when you do that, then you're looking at some of the things that you're talking about. Um, we, didn't, we, we didn't come over here as immigrants. We came here as captives and right. then were made into slaves. And that some of us were already here yeah, and that, were enslaved. Yeah, yeah, and so that history of I mean, what did you say about already here? What did you say? Some of us were already here and were enslaved. Exactly. And so that history of of what we've been through in our soldiering, you know, we told this is black history month, so you know that what we've been through in our soldiering here in America has created uh, uh, not a culture but a subculture. And when you talk about the things that you were saying, you know, if I've grown up in a poor school, well, if I've grown up in a poor neighborhood, you know, then I've gone to a, a, a school that was poor and all of the education was poor and I had a job that was poor and I have children. And it's like the cycle that continues and continues and continues. But here's the thing. How did you end up in that poor neighborhood in the first place? Right. How did you get there? Why? You know, you mentioned a couple of neighborhoods, certain neighborhoods in Brooklyn, certain neighborhoods in the Bronx, certain neighborhoods in Queens. How did you get there? You know, what was the struggle that took place between, you know, why did blacks leave the south and come to the north? What, what, what do you know about sharecropping? Do you understand what a one-room schoolhouse was? And right. do you understand that at one at, 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 and, 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 and it is it's a historical fact that at, at, that it was against the law, punishable by death, to teach a black child how to read or a black person how to read. Or how so, about how the school system even started here to begin with? The settlers what? were coming over here, and they had give birth to children because their children. Their children were born here in this country. They were able to survive, but they would die in three years. So we're mm -hmm. just talking about the white settlers who came over here and tried to make a, a you know better way or you know start over here in this country. They're dead. So here there are all these orphans running around. They didn't know what to do with them, so they created these orphanage orphanages slash schools, yeah. and that's where public education came from here in this country. It had nothing to do with us, of course, at the time. Just later on, it was like, okay, so what about us? 
and, and, and you said something else that's important. It really had nothing to do with education. No. It's always been something that I've, that I've actively speak about. You have to know the difference between public school and education because they're not synonymous. Right. And, and, I, and, and the thing that I, that I put it, but the point that I want to make is that if, if, if it was punishable by death to teach a black person how to read, that's the history that now informs the culture that we see. And so maybe it's not something that's outright bold anymore, but it's still institutionalized and ingrained into our experience. So I just think and, and, and that black teachers have to, given that foundation, have to seek it and speak it to you, some of you out there, so that you know that when you're in a classroom, you know who's before you. You know what your role as an educator is and understand that there's a connection between education, not schooling, education and liberation. Now, there's something that you said earlier, and I, I want to kind of ask you how does this play out because there's a, I got a sense from you that there's an evolution taking place in in within the ranks of public education, and, and we talked about you know, the teachers that fall into the different categories. Um, how do you balance that as a UFT rep, you know? And, and, and don't get me wrong, I know your your job is very important because, listen, let's just be realistic here. You know, you have administrators who fall, who fall within the same categories that you just described in terms of the teachers. I think you could put that same category just about in every group. You could put it in the children. You could put it in the parents. You could put it with the teachers and the school leadership, but as a UFT rep person who's responsible for uh, fighting for teachers' rights, how do you deal? How do you deal with that aspect of your job that puts you in a sometimes in a position where you're dealing with a teacher who you know is no good for our children? How do you handle that kind of situation? It's it's very difficult to say the least. It's very difficult, but you know I try to. I try to make sure that I'm being fair and being just and hearing both sides of the story and presenting the facts. And just, you know, if if the member's not doing something right or if there's an issue, I'll speak to the member about it and just be real with them and try to provide them assistance the best way possible to help them deal with whatever the issue is, whatever the problem is, whether it's, not doing, you know, good enough lessons, not understanding how to keep anecdotals on students that do have issues, and and just finding better teaching practices. I at least can honestly say that for teachers that have those issues, I've gone into their rooms and tried to assist them myself Mm -hmm. based on whatever the issues were that were brought to the table. And, um... That's, that sounds great. Let me you know, and that. then and then it, you know, I'll I make sure I take notes in the meeting, and you know, if it's somebody who I know is just like a mess, you know, to a certain degree, I'm there for the children, and I don't want to see a horrible teacher ruin the lives of children year after year, because. My own daughter was in a classroom like that, uh, uh, but it wasn't, you know, in the in the um, New York City public school system. It was in Jersey, where she goes. So uh-huh. that kind of gave me more insight into, wow, I would want her teacher gone. 
this particular teacher she had one year, and looking at members who make me feel the same way about them and their practice, you know, you have to pull yourself out of the equation and think like a parent. Yes. And as a parent, if you feel as though that person wouldn't be good enough for your child, then that person's not really good enough for the kids in your school either. You give them assistance, you give them a plan of assistance, you talk to them, you do the best you can with them, but then at the end of the day, it almost makes you start to resent Mm. some of the policies that are in place right now, not so much with the union, but some of the policies that protect people like that. Like there also has to be some checks and balances in terms of how do you deal with these people who don't care because there's no there's no way to measure caring, empathy, and concern. Like, that's just not a part of any teacher evaluation system. It's all paperwork. It's all what you put on paper, how you um, delivered your lesson, you know, did the kids take anything away. It's all very factual and data-driven based on the test scores and, and everything. But there's no... There's no bullet in any teacher evaluation that I've seen or no criteria for caring, love, and the ability to get children to trust you and integrity. And you know know what's so ironic about that? If you don't have those elements that you just described, then you can't get to the data-driven pieces that are required. But those things have no place anywhere in any new or old teacher evalu- teacher evaluation system that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessary before because before you didn't just go into teaching if you didn't want to do that. There were so many options for work. Because I had other options. I chose teaching. I, I actually attended the Million Man March too. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> But I attended as a reporter. Okay. I worked for um, the sister station to WBAI, to WPFW, on the Julianne Malvo show, and yeah. I was one of the producers. And I actually produced a two-hour show prior to the Million Man March where we had people call in and talk about it, so I had to go because I wanted to cover it. Mm. And I used to sit there during that show and see all these people from the black community coming because I was always about how can we fix things in the community, how can we fix things, I got very I became very jaded with TV and radio because I felt like everyone just talks. No one's mm-hmm. doing anything. Well, I want to go somewhere where I can do something because I'm tired of listening to black folks just talk. Yes. And I got to that point and I would I went I ended up choosing teaching because I felt like I I could make a difference, and also I wanted to bring back to my community the quality of education that I received when I got bused to some of the white schools in Queens because there was desegregation in New York City. And when we were in Bed-Stuy, I was in the so-called Aster and Gifted program. And then when we moved to Queens, they put me in the Aster and Gifted program that was in Queens in Little Neck and Douglaston. Yes. In fourth grade, it hit me. This is, program has the same name, but this is far different here in this white neighborhood than this was 
in Bed-Stuy. Why is that? A program should be a program if it's citywide. Why do we have more resources? We were learning to read music. We had a chorus. We learned it, uh, We learned Spanish in fourth grade. They had a leveled reading system, that's SRA, that people still use today. None of these things existed at the school that I was attending in Brooklyn. Not one. I was so bored in Brooklyn it wasn't even funny. So that disparity stayed with me like into my adulthood, and I remembered thinking how unfair that was, and then I, I felt like I want to go back and teach in the absolute worst communities ever and give them the same quality of education that I got when I got bust because they deserve it and because it's going on in their city, and it's not right that they're not getting that. So that was part of that was one of my goals in terms of coming back into the inner city and becoming a teacher because, like I said, I got tired over about the span of maybe two years of listening to black folks just talk on the no, radio and in the media. Uh, because we 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 have a shared experience in terms of that. Um, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to, you know, uh, become a principal in a in a community. Uh, where I grew up because I wanted to give those students in that community the kind of quality of education I received being bussed out to uh, Little Neck, Douglas Den, and and eventually going to high school in uh, Cardoza. So, you know, I wanted to, to, to build a school that the community could be proud of and that, that, that could really give these children an opportunity and, um, why should a student have to go all the way across town to receive the, uh, the same quality education? Why can't they get that quality of education right within the communities that they live in? And um, so, you know, I, I share that, uh, that 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 kind of vision and that experience in terms of what you're talking about. Um, it's interesting. Um, we've talked about the roles in your team. We've talked about the different categories of teachers, black history, and preparing black teachers to be successful. I want to now talk about um, how we can um, best support a teacher like yourself. You know, we have teachers, and as you described, you know, that are going beyond and above, and they're trying to make things happen. Or even if you have a teacher that's just doing a good job, you know, doing their job to the degree that they're supposed to be doing it. How can we as a community become more mature, and 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 in the way that we support teachers who our children are benefiting from. Well, the first, the first demon, if you even want to call it that, that we all have to fight before we can come together, is the one within ourselves. Hmm. We've got to kind of push the self hatred to the back burner and really work on having some love for ourselves just on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And love for yourself comes from understanding who you are, where you came from, the history of who you are, the history of your people in different regions in this country, and have an understanding as to how not just the systematic um, oppression starting from slavery and, and beyond has put us in the situation we're in, but also having an understanding of how the times have made things 
harder for all of us to pull out of that slump. You know, just understanding or taking a reread of the Willie Lynch letter to understand how the psychological damage was planned, executed, and continues to be executed and how we're all victims of that and doing that work individually so we can come together collectively without the hardened hate, anger, resentment, disgust Hmm. within ourselves so that we can work together. Because you can't come into an organization and want to help and you hate yourself and you don't know who you are and you're, you know, angry and, and you like to hate on people who look like they're just even a little happier than you because this is who we've become. We have to come out of that. So there's going to be a lot of a need for a lot of reteaching of just self and understanding self and caring about yourself individually. And then once that vibration kind of takes hold where people start having more love in their hearts for themselves, that will emanate like a ripple effect to their children, to the community, and then we can come together under that unity of love, concern, and empathy and get some stuff done within our communities. Mm. But we each have to, you know, like Michael Jackson said, get with the man in the mirror, change his ways, whatever they are. Mm. And, you know, you could someone could be thinking they're living the perfect life, but if they turn their nose up to certain people, then that's a disease in itself, thinking that you're better or judging others. Because then how can you work in a group collectively within the community if you already have a preconceived notion as to who you think you are and who you think they are? Yes. Instead of, hey, you look like you're having a hard time. Let me find out how you got here and see if there's something that I can do to make things better for you because if things are better for you, things are better for me, things are better for us, and things are better for our community. But if we don't all start with just that work on self and then let that emanate, we're going to be in trouble because you can't bring a disorganized, unaware, unself-aware group of people together and think anything positive is going to be accomplished. So at this point, the best thing we could do is try to find people of like minds and like understanding and let them try to get together while they're consistently working on themselves. And they can create that ripple effect, but we have to start living truth, sharing truth with anyone that we come that crosses our path. And the more and more you do that, and the more and more you're walking in truth, people will start to trust you and say, you know what, there's like some aura of peace around these people. There's some aura of goodness around these people who look just like me and who are walking around my community, and they have my best interest at heart. So I'm going to start paying attention to this truth that they're bringing with them because it will free me. Because freedom at this point, it's in our minds. It's not so much on the shackles that we have on us on a day-to-day, you know, because we have to go to work and because we have to deal with the system. Our shackles are in our minds. And once we break those, 
then we can come together and have some real discussions with, that lead to real plans, that re, lead to real solutions that have an overreaching effect where we can have our own businesses, where we can have our own schools, we can have our own, and the schools will be governed by people who know what's best in order to bring our community up. And that's, it's almost like you have to search for people who are pure at heart in order to even get that ripple of motion started, to get it going and to get it to gain momentum. But it's hard because you may run into somebody who you think, oh, this person's on point, and then, you know, a couple months down the road, you find out they still got a demon kind of latched onto their shoulder that they haven't been able to shake off. And now that little demon that's on them that they can't shake off is something within their character that poisons, it's almost like puts a drop of poison in the pot of goodness, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I was going to ask you, um, first of all, let me just ask you this question. Let me say your, your, your children, and I say, when I say your children, not just your, your physical child, but the children who you service, they're very blessed to have a teacher like you that they see on a basis. And even if you're not, and, and those teachers too, because it's not just what you're saying, like you said before, you're tired of the talk, but it's the, it's the walk that you're walking and it's the example that you're demonstrating. And if we could, again, the, the purpose of this show is we look for solutions, we look for role models, and we look for models that can be implemented. And you are a role model, and, and we have to get this message out as many people as we can about the importance of the things that you stated here today. And so I just want to give you uh, kudos for that. And I guess I'm going to end this with a – I was going to go another direction, but you said something that just made me want to, uh, I guess, uh, table those questions for another time. I want to ask you, when you look at your students, what is your hope and desire for them and what is the measurement that you use to gauge whether or not you have the time that you have spent with them was successful? I don't, you know, I try not to measure the time. I try to make the best use of whatever time that I do have with them as possible because I um, service different kids on different grades during the day. And if I have to stop for a minute and, and have a talk with them about something within their character is something that they're dealing with that's keeping them from learning, it gets addressed because I want them to get better because some of these kids, like even the kids who they, you know, people in the building call the worst ones, I'm able to find light in those kids because I I see it. I see what their talents are. And these children are by no means unintelligent. They've seen too much. They've been through too much. So even if they're struggling in reading and math and just the basics that are part of the common core curriculum, there's so much else that they know about that other people probably couldn't even imagine that makes them infinitely smart. And these children, if given the proper tools and the proper information about themselves at a young age, you know, get what they need, they're going to be the leaders who fix this. They can fix this but they have to be given love so that they can walk in that and not allow all these things that happen to them to create this, you know, cycle of ruin in their lives. 
you know, because I, they, these kids that are here now, they're different than us. They're smarter. They're wiser. But they've had more taken away from them than we have. When we didn't have, we thought we didn't have anything. They really have less. And they're pushing through it. And they're stronger. I think we have a, uh, a caller. Caller, uh, could you please state your name and your question? Yes, hey, Brother Shango. <clears throat> this is um, JR. How are you doing, um, Sister Hendrix? Um, I'm. I'm kind of torn, you know. I'm listening to you, and especially what you're talking about with the the, the um, youth right now and their their motivation, you know. Um, Brother Shang, I don't know. I don't know if you remember my daughter. I remember we came to your school um, years back, and we did a vi- we showed a video that yeah. I made with my daughter. And the reason I made that video was because she was having problems in school, and they were telling her that she couldn't. Telling me that she couldn't do the math work and she couldn't do the work and all of that type of oh, stuff. Oh, I remember and that, brother, very well. Remember that, right? And I, I, I was, you know, back then I was trying to do every, even up to the day, I'm still trying to do whatever I can to keep my daughter focused. She's in high school now, and it's, it's, it's hard. You know, when she got into junior high school, she got arrested in class for something that she didn't do because of a teacher. I think I told you this before, Brother Shango. And now in high school, it's like she doesn't even want to be bothered with high school, you know. As and it's it's, it's like I, I, I'm at my wit's end right now because you know I can't be that angry parent and you know and whatnot. And I'm, I'm trying everything. And the school basically, you know, they're not really giving me much. Because they don't have much to give, mm-hmm. you know. Is there any advice that you can possibly give me to help her stay on track? You know, this is a young lady. When she was nine years old, she went to Denmark with the princess and prince of Denmark because she won a contest in her elementary school back in the times, and she was had so much promise. Now she's a teenager, and because of things that have happened. It made her close up and 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 just want to be like I I don't even want to bother with school. Now, does she have? have is, does she get any special ed services, or she's just in general education? The ed- general, general education. And, and they you, said this, you know, I I went to see if I could go see counselors or therapists, and they like, you know, there's nothing wrong with your daughter, you know, and it's I'm like, wow. Wow, the, everything has just gotten so deteriorated. Now, oh, she's, she's in a high school in New York City? Yes, yes. What you can um, do? Boss school, the boss school, I believe it's called, the um, business or sports school. What you can do is try to go down to placement and see if you can transfer her, if they give mm-hmm. you trouble with that. One mm-hmm. tool that parents have in New York City that they don't use enough is you can call 311 to your blue in the face. After three phone calls, the people come to the school to investigate. That's all they mm. need. And you can give the name of whoever is not doing right by your child, the teacher, the principal, whoever it is. You call 311 with their name. They have to answer to the superintendent and then to the chancellor once three phone calls have been made with their name or with that school. And then after a while, it will be so big of a problem that – they may find you a placement someplace else that'll be better for her. 
Oh, thank you. You have so to much. turn it on the school. And the reason yeah. why I say turn it on the school is not because I'm trying to, you know, say start something, but at the end of the day, if they're not providing your daughter with what she needs, she's not getting proper counseling, you can keep on escalating the issue until it gets to a point where you may need an impartial hearing or whatever, and then you do what I see other parents of other races and religions do. Once they get done exercising their rights as parents looking for the best situation, the school board ends up having to pay for private school for their kid because they couldn't meet the child's needs. But you have but to build I, a case. Wait a minute, wow. wait a minute. Wait a minute. We got, we're coming to a close, unfortunately. Sorry. But I do want to talk to you, brother, because I have some ideas off air, so please, you know, let's talk after the show. Okay, and, thank you so much. And um, I want to just... Thank uh, you again, uh, you gave us great information. Um, and again, um, we want to spread it as far and wide as we can. And I've got some ideas. I think me and you need to get together and, and move this thing past blog talk and maybe start putting some programs together that we can reach parents like the one who just called with help and support. So um, thank you for being our guest. I'd like to thank hey, our engineers. Brother uh, James, Brother Jason, uh, Sister Rafika, and uh, Brother J.R. Uh, doing a wonderful job here on the Keys 107 Network. And this is your host, Shango Blake, Brother Shango. And until next week, we're out. All right now. Yeah. Welcome to the movement, baby. We're going to change education. Check out ShungleBlake.com. I say it again, ShungleBlake.com. Teach and reading uniquely to reverse underperformance. True school is here. Now let's be clear. Our impact will be enormous to the people across this nation eagerly anticipating a sound from the streets that's so unique, it'll transform education. This is school, the killing field, where they kill a lover learner and then our children for real. That's the deal. Now we got to change things around, close gaps down. This is a new sound, true school. This is this radio show, shovelbig.com, flow, in case you wait, no. And now we're going to change things. One school at a time, one rhyme at a time. Yeah, we going to shine. Time to shine media, yes. Yeah, we've been blessed putting suckers to the test. So, teaching reading so uniquely. That's right. Gotta make you think deeply. Uh, teaching reading uniquely. To reverse underperformance. True school is here. Now, let's be clear. Our impact will be enormous. To the people across this nation.